Well, this morning we'll be reading about a mountaintop experience that Jesus and some of his disciples had. Let's turn to Matthew 17 and read God's word for us, his people, today. I'll read Matthew 17, verses 1 to 8. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This is God's holy and infallible word for us, his people, this morning. Before I start, is this working okay sound-wise, Ryan, or should we switch something up? As good as it's going to be? All right, good enough. Well, my sermon title for today is The Mountaintop and the Mundane. Mountaintops are often where great things happen. They're places of inspiration. If we have a really inspiring event or time in our lives, we might call it a mountaintop experience. But for the most part, people don't live on the mountaintops. We mostly live in the regular, the everyday, the mundane. Life goes on day by day, and we just have to keep going to work, taking care of the family, keeping up the house, and so on and so forth. It's often hard to bring together our mountaintop experiences and the mundane day-to-day. So today we're going to talk about a couple ways that we get that relationship between the mountaintop and the mundane wrong, and we'll also talk about how God transforms our lives so that we can get that right. The first challenge that we need to face today is that we often pull the mountaintop down into the mundane. We pull the mountaintop down into the mundane. When I was in high school, I took a couple community college, community college courses in Denver, and on that drive from my house to the community college, I would come over a hill at a certain spot, and the whole vista of the Colorado Rockies would just open up in front of me. The road kind of followed a hill and there was a dip and then you could see mountain after mountain after mountain after mountain. And I took a lot of evening courses so I would often top that hill just as sunset was going on so you could look over and you could see this amazing picture. The mountains, the sun, it was beautiful. But truthfully, most of the time on that drive, I never even glanced over in that direction. Most of the time I was running late so I was just focused on getting to class on time or I was mad because the guy behind me wanted to go too fast or the guy in front of me wanted to go too slow or I was just zoning out. Very few times did I actually look up to the mountain and see the beauty that was there. Now in the text for today we see Peter especially pulling the mountaintop down into the mundane. He had a chance to see something really beautiful and amazing and life-changing but he doesn't quite get it. For Jesus' disciples, the experience that we read about today could be an ultimate mountaintop experience. 
Jesus takes only his closest few friends, and they go up on a mountain. And when they're they're there, Jesus starts to shine like the sun. It's like lightning has come down from heaven, and instead of being gone in a second, it's continued to burn bright in front of them. Jesus' face and his clothes are radiant, and Moses and Elijah, two of the great heroes of the faith, show up too, and they start talking to Jesus in front of the disciples. So the disciples are having the mountaintop experience of all mountaintop experiences. And then Peter, and it always seems to be good old Peter, just blurts out something in verse 4. You've got to respect Peter for talking all the time, not being afraid in any kind of situation, but you can tell he's not really sure what to do here. He's thrilled to be having this experience, but he's just not sure how to process it. He doesn't know how to connect it with everyday life. Now, at first, when we read this passage, Peter's offer to build some shelters sounds totally random. Like Peter is just pulling something out of thin air and it doesn't make any sense at all. But Peter is making some sense. His his talk about setting up shelters actually reflects one of the traditional Old Testament feasts. The problem is that Peter still doesn't get the real point of that feast. He's offering to do something okay, but he's missing the big point. Now the word that's used for shelter there in verse 4 can also be translated as booth, or tent, or even tabernacle. Every single year, the Jews would have this celebration called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that feast helped the people to remember the years that they had spent in the desert. They would build these temporary shelters, tents, or booths, or tabernacles, or whatever you want to call them. And during the whole feast, about a week or so, they would live in those tents. And they would remember the time that they had wandered in the desert, and they would especially remember the time at Mount Sinai when God came down to his people, and then after that when God lived in the tabernacle in the midst of his people. That feast was about remembering the time that God's burning, unbearably bright presence came into the midst of his people. And as part of that feast, there was this huge ceremony of light at the temple. They had these four tall pillars. It's hard to say exactly how tall they were, but maybe as tall as the ceiling in here. And they put four huge lamps on the top of each pillar. And then toward the end of the feast, priests would climb these tall ladders up there, and they would light all of those lamps on fire. Now, this was far before the days of electric light, but those burning, blazing, huge lamps would light up the whole city of Jerusalem, day and night, for several days. And that would have been an image that would have imprinted itself on every Israelite's mind. The Feast of Tabernacles was a time of blazing light, a time of looking to God's presence among his people, and also a time of hope for God's coming king. So when Peter offers to build three shelters or tents or tabernacles, he's saying, hey, something really special is happening here. He sees Jesus being transfigured into this blazing figure of light. He realizes that this is God's chosen one. He knows that he is seeing the reality that the Feast of Tabernacles has been pointing forward to for centuries. But even with all of that grandeur, even with all of that, Peter is still pulling the mountaintop down into the mundane. He's still not getting it. He's still trying to get Jesus to fit in the wrong box. At the end of Matthew 16, just before the verses that we read for today, Peter tells his disciples he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to be raised again. 
And after he says that, Peter, good old Peter, takes him aside and reams him out. Never, Lord, Peter tells Jesus, that will not happen to you. Peter cannot believe that God's chosen one would come and die. That's not how this is going to work, thinks Peter. The Messiah is going to come in glory and power, and he's going to overthrow Rome, and there's going to be a new nation of Israel, and Jesus' closest followers will reign along with him, and so on and on and on. And in Matthew 16, Jesus responds to Peter by saying, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And it's a fair guess here in the story that happens right after that, that Peter still isn't quite getting it. He's maybe getting closer, but he's not there yet. He wants to make some new tabernacle on the mountain to welcome Israel's new king, but he wants a political national king. He doesn't want a cosmic spiritual Messiah who's come to save the whole world. He just wants a king who's going to come, kick Rome out, and start this new time of glory where Peter also gets to reign in power. Peter's not entirely wrong, but he's got way too small a plan in mind. And sometimes we too, as God's people, we get so stuck in the mundane that when mountaintop experiences come along, we just pull them down into the mundane and we stifle them. When we encounter the true power of God, we shrink back. When the veil is ripped aside and we see the light and the fire and the glory and the smoke right in front of us, our first response is often to back away slowly and carefully. We like our comfortable, complacent, safe lives. And when something truly groundbreaking shows up, we move pretty slowly. We step back from powerful encounters with God into our comfortable routines. We flatten out God's plans to fit our own plans. And even when we get some things right, we don't always get the whole picture. As Christians, we know a lot about God's plan, we know the Bible, we know a lot of things, but often we try to fit God's schemes into our schemes. Our vision narrows, we get all caught up in the day-to-day -day details, and we miss the big picture of God's glorious plan. That has always, always been a struggle for God's people, and it's still a struggle for us today. And so God keeps coming to his people and broadening our horizons. When we're stuck in our little visions of the world, God comes and he blows the lid off. We can, truly, we can try to pull mountain experiences down into the mundane, but the reality is that God's presence and power and his plans cannot be contained by our little plans. We live with a massively powerful and glorious God. We live with the reality that our God is massively powerful and his presence is overwhelming. In verse 5, while Peter is still going on, a bright cloud envelops everybody on the mountain, and a voice speaks from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter's focus had shifted to what he could do and how this vision could fit with his assumptions and plans. But God's words come, and they reset the arc of the story. The point isn't what Peter can do for God. The point of the mountaintop experience is to get the disciples focused on Jesus and who he is and what he will do for God's people. That voice in the cloud is God speaking. And what God basically says is pay attention to Jesus. Now it's hard for us to process just reading that text. But hearing that voice 
would have been a terrifying, life-altering experience. We have pretty thoroughly domesticated God in our culture, or at least we like to think we have. But in a lot of history, in a lot of the world today, coming before the presence of God would have been terrifying. In the ancient world, people were scared to death of God. Even in the Old Testament, when God descended on Mount Sinai, the Israelites were scared out of their minds. They went to Moses and they begged and pleaded him to go up on the mountain because they could not handle being in God's presence. For the Romans too, and for most of the ancient world, when you started talking about the high God, the truly powerful one, people started getting pretty scared. God was way up there, so powerful, so transcendent, so inaccessible, you didn't expect ever to meet with that God face to face. And if you did, you were really in for it. Only the most brave or the exceptionally stupid expected to be able to stand in God's presence. Everybody knew better. They knew what happened to people when lightning struck. They knew what divine power could do to us mere mortals. And so they cringed and they fell down before God. And that's why the disciples in verse 6 fall face down to the ground, terrified. They know that this is a voice that controls the world. They know that this voice belongs to somebody who could destroy them with a word. This was a voice belonging to a person they did not dare meet face to face for fear of being burned up. So in our lives, when we encounter God on the mountaintop, we need to give up on any, any attempt to drag him down, to get him under control. God is glorious, and he lives in unapproachable light. God is blazing like the sun, powerful like lightning, and awe-inspiring like a mighty mountain. We cannot put God in a box. If we follow the true Lord, we can never live entirely comfortable and easy lives. We can never just settle into a Christian routine and play off the string. When we live with God, we live with an electric presence that could destroy us with a single word. <coughs> never make the mistake in your life of smothering the mountain's power with the mundane things of life. God is always greater than. God is always more than what we expect, always greater than what we can entirely get a handle on. If you have your God entirely under your control, you are not serving the true Lord. If we want to live in God's presence, we need to recognize God as God. But while God's power and might are a mountaintop reality that we live into, they also create a problem for us. We don't and we can't always live on the mountaintops. A second challenge for us today is that we often struggle to find inspiration in the mundane. We struggle to find inspiration in the mundane. How can we connect with a God who is way up there when we are living way down here? We're still human beings. We need food. We need shelter. We need to take care of our families. So yeah, we need to admit the power of God and let him have control in our lives. But how do we bring that into the real world? Well, Mike was a guy I used to know who, um, who was in the Navy. So we had a lot of time out at sea, and then when he came back, he often would have a lot of time off. And what he loved to do with his time off was go and climb mountains. He climbed dozens and dozens and dozens of mountains, and he loved it because on the way up, he would read the Bible, he would pray, and when he got to the top, when he stood on the summit of these tall mountains, he felt like he was really in God's presence. 
that was where he went for inspiration. That was where he went for refreshment. That was where he could go to experience God. So one time on one of these trips, Michael was staying with a family who he knew, and he was talking about how on the climb that day, he had just had this inspirational experience. He had read God's word, and it just came clear for him. And after he had gone on about this for a while, the mother of that family looked around, and it was a family that had several young children. So she looked at the kids, and she looked at the dog, and she looked at the dishes, and she looked at the mess, and she said quietly, you know, I don't have time to climb a whole lot of mountains. I, I can't get that kind of inspiration. I have to find my inspiration and my encouragement in other ways. And Michael also looked around at the dishes and the dog and the dirty clothes and the kids and everything. And all of a sudden, he didn't feel like his life was so hard. All of a sudden, he didn't feel like climbing a mountain to be inspired is the most challenging thing in the world. Most of us, most of us live much more in the mundane than on the mountaintop. That young mom wasn't being bitter or nasty or anything like that. She was just expressing the reality of her life. Bills have to get paid. Things around the house have to get fixed. The kids have to get clothed and sent off to school and brought back and brought to an activity or two. The car needs to go to the mechanic. Our lives are full and they leave very little room for encountering or being inspired by God. When we're struggling to keep our heads above the water, it's really hard to get passionate about following the Lord. The mundane can be so overwhelming that it's hard to see how we can get way up into the presence of this almighty, all-powerful, burningly glorious God. But the good news here is that God comes down to us. The second reality that we need to live into this morning is that God himself comes down to us in his word. God's word comes down to us. We can't pull God down and domesticate him, but God isn't just a distant power on the mountaintop. He brings the mountaintop to us in a way that we can live with. In Matthew 17, God speaks and the disciples fall face down in petrified terror. And then after that, Jesus comes to them, and he touches them, and he tells them to get up and not be afraid. And then when the disciples look up, they don't see anyone except Jesus. Now obviously that means the cloud has gone, Moses and Elijah have gone, and Jesus is the only one left there. But I think Matthew wants us to read that at more than just the surface level. He isn't just telling us that Jesus is the only one on the mountain. He's saying that Jesus is the one the disciples need to be looking to, and Jesus alone. If they really want to draw close to the glory of God, they need to look to Jesus. In this story and in the whole Bible, Jesus shows off the glory of God himself. Jesus is the one who bears the light of God. But Jesus is also the one who comes to his disciples, who comes to us and tells us not to be afraid. Because God's word came down, because Jesus came down, we do not need to be afraid, and we can live with God even in the mundane, even in the everyday. And notice in this story, it's always God who speaks with authority. It's the words of God that define who Jesus is, not Peter's crazy ideas or his offer to build shelters and get this thing going. And it's Jesus' words that enable the disciples to get up from their fear 
and to get on with life. The mountaintop experience is defined and determined by what God does. And that is still true for us today. It's still God's word that enables us to understand and live with God. Now, first of all, of course, Jesus is the word of God, the one who leads us up on the mountains of faith, the one who comes down and meets with us in our everyday lives. But the way that we hear about Jesus now, the way we encounter God most clearly now, is primarily through this book. Through God's word, through the Bible, through this gift given to us by God, we have the story of God's work, we have the ability to meet with our Savior. This book, this inspired book, is our inspiration in the mundane. We don't find out about God by sitting down and thinking hard about him or by making stuff up. Our best efforts to understand God are always limited. They're always subject to failure. They're always tainted by sin. We live with a transcendent God, and our little constructs that we make up ourselves are never big enough for him. But we also live with a God who has revealed himself in his son and in the Bible. The Bible gives us the truth about God. It shows us the power and the love of God. It shows us how we can live with God. And if we're going to keep following God, we need this inspiration. We are not strong enough on our own. On our own, we're always going to be there with Peter saying, hey, let's do this little thing. When in fact, God is showing us how the whole world, how the whole universe is changing. And he's trying to draw us into that. We need God to speak to us. We need his word. We need a continual encounter with God's word if we're going to live with the realities of the mountaintop in the everyday. We need continually to encounter God and continually to hear the gospel that Jesus has saved us. So in your life, keep looking. Keep running after ways to encounter God through his word. Maybe you're one of those lucky people who can take some time off and actually go and climb mountains. Maybe you have that chance to have those mountaintop experiences with regularity. And if you're one of those people, blessings be on you, take advantage of it. But maybe all you can manage to do is to get to church most weeks, maybe get to a Bible study every now and then, and crack open the Bible on your own when you have a few minutes between the dishes and the dog and the kids and everything else going on. Begin where you are, but know that you always need to be looking toward the life of God. Even if all you can do today to seek God's face is come to church and crack the Bible open a couple times this week, do that. Try to do it more. Your mundane life can only be transformed when you go to meet God on the mountain and when you live with that God who has come down to you. So whether you're enjoying the views from a mountaintop or just fighting through yet another mountain range of dirty dishes and dirty clothes, know that you have access to God himself in the person of Jesus. Jesus brings God's light to us. Jesus comes down from the mountaintop with us and he meets us in our mundane day-to-day -day lives. In Jesus, in the Bible, we are able to see the glory of God. In our lives, we have the privilege of living with that glory. May we all shine with the light that Christ gives us. May we all live in the light of God's word. Amen.